Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw, and today I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Tate Johnson, who is an assistant professor in the Division of Rheumatology and Immunology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and Veterans Administration, Nebraska Western Iowa Healthcare. Dr. Johnson and colleagues recently published a study on all-cause and cause-specific mortality among patients with rheumatoid arthritis that resulted in some interesting findings. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Johnson. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. So what initiated your interest in examining mortality among patients with RA? Sure. So, you know, I think it's been pretty well established for you know many years that patients with rheumatoid arthritis are at higher risk of mortality. Um, RA has been shown to shorten patients' uh, lifespan. Um, and so obviously, treatment of RA has improved substantially over the last couple of decades. Um, and so with advancements in treatments with new disease-modifying agents, we've certainly seen improvement in RA-related outcomes as far as disease activity and functional status. Um, there's been some conflicting reports sort of as mortality studies have been updated over time as to whether this, you know, so-called mortality gap between patients with and without RA has, has closed with improvements in RA-related care. Um, and so, you know, we aimed or we were interested in sort of looking at that in, in our study. And in addition to kind of looking at the trends in um, mortality over time in patients with RA, um, many, you know, large studies looking at RA-related mortality tend to look at sort of what we'd call categorical causes of, of mortality. So, for instance, cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, cancer. So, one of the things we were interested in looking at uh, a little bit more on a more granular level in this study was looking at more specific causes of death. So, with within cardiovascular disease, comparing coronary artery disease versus heart failure versus other other causes or um, different types of of malignancies, and so those those were you know a couple of the uh, items that sort of motivated this study. Can you give us an overview of the study in terms of the numbers of patients you looked at, the kinds of cohorts, the length of time it ran? Yeah, of course. So, so this study we used um, national level veterans affairs data. Study window was from 2000 to 2018, so we had basically an 18-year time period. Um, and within the national VA data, um, we identified about 30,000 patients who were newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> and then we matched those patients based on age, sex, and then their um, enrollment year into the VA to about 250,000 non-RA patients. So over that 18-year study period, we had about 2 million person years of follow-up time is kind of what that amounts to. So it's a, it's a large study. We followed patients from the time they're diagnosed with RA and until either the end of the study or in, until they died. In order to sort of look at causes of death, then we linked our national VA data to the National Death Index, which captures causes of death amongst patients in the United States. Um, and then we also linked to that um, a, a tool um, through the Healthcare Cost Utilization Project called the Clinical Classification Software, 
um, which allowed us to take, you know, that categorical cause of death that we oftentimes will see from the National Death Index, and that actually sort of tease out more specific causes um, of death underneath those more broad categories. Within that study, then, we analyzed the association of rheumatoid arthritis with these categorical and more specific causes of death. And we accounted, the nice part about the Veterans Affairs data, it's a, it's a very large data set, but it has really, um, you know, robust clinical data from the electronic health record. Um, so we were able to account for things like age, sex, race, ethnicity, uh, body mass index, smoking status, and then uh, the burden of comorbidities as well, which we know is um, certainly increased in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And so, you know, we looked at that association between RA and the causes of death sort of in an, in an overall perspective over our time period. And then to sort of get at um, trends in, in rheumatoid arthritis related death, we then split up our study period into five year um, time blocks. And so based on when a patient was, di- was diagnosed with RA, we kind of created three separate cohorts um, over the study period and then compared the risk of, of mortality between those to kind of look at trends um, in RA-related death. And what were your findings? Um, amongst patients with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, we identified about 9,500 deaths. So we had 30,000 RA patients, about 9.5 thousand deaths. Um, and unsurprisingly, the most frequent causes of death were cardiovascular disease, cancer, respiratory deaths. Um, that's not terribly dissimilar from non-RA patients, but in our adjusted models where we are accounting for, you know, all the different risk factors for these causes of death, we found that patients with RA were at a 23% increased risk of all-cause mortality. And amongst that, that when we looked at number of deaths in these patients, looked at instance rates and compared between the two groups, that amounted to over 2,500 excess deaths in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So, you know, amongst those 9,500 deaths that occurred, um, we estimated about 2,500 of those would be in quote excess of what what they should be based on the non-RA population, you know, rates of death. And so that's sort of the all-cause mortality estimates. You know, we had a number of analyses, obviously, with sort of our objectives in this study. And so when we looked at categorical causes of death, um, we found about a 20% increased risk in cardiovascular disease and cancer-related death, a 45% increased risk of respiratory-related mortality, and then a nearly 60% increased risk of, of infection-related death. When we then broke that down into more granular causes and the different categories, and I won't obviously go into each specific cause that we looked at, but the most overrepresented cause of death in rheumatoid arthritis was interstitial lung disease-related death. So this is obviously an area of interest in, in rheumatoid arthritis and certainly a, a burdensome condition that we're trying to learn more about. And we found over threefold higher risk of ILD-related related death in this study. Then obviously we were interested in looking at, you know, temporal trends in, in rheumatoid arthritis <clears throat> related mortality and saw some encouraging findings there. We saw that there's a significant improvement in all cause mortality and then favorable trends um, in cardiovascular and cancer related mortality over time, where most contemporary cohorts seem to be at a little bit lower risk than, than the earlier diagnosed rheumatoid arthritis patients. But um, one thing we point out in the study is that there's actually, you know, even in our most contemporary cohort, the most recently diagnosed RA patients from 2012 to 2017, 
there is still a statistically significant increased risk for all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease-related mortality, respiratory and infection-related death. So the good news is that the RA-related mortality is decreasing, but the bad news is there's still that mortality gap. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hypothesis about why that gap exists? And is it, in fact, shrinking? And do you have an idea as to why that might be? That's a great question. So, you know, as you mentioned, good news, things are improving over time. And I think, you know, that improvement likely reflects simply that we're treating RA a lot more effectively than we were 20 years ago. So, you know, obviously our sort of armamentarium of disease modifying agents continues to increase. And so I think our ability to control RA disease activity has improved. So I think that's reflected in the improvements in mortality, you know, estimates that we're seeing here. And I think, obviously, I think the best thing we can do for any individual patient is to control their RA. Because clearly, uncontrolled RA is going to be probably the biggest risk factor that we see as far as, you know, early death in these patients. But then beyond that, as far as, you know, when we see that this even this these really recently diagnosed RA patients are still at increased risk of death, then the question becomes is, are there other things that we need to be doing to help these patients from maybe a more holistic standpoint as far as not just their RA-related disease? And so I guess beyond just controlling the, R, the clinical RA disease activity, is there sort of this population of patients with either... Um, what I like to refer to as like subclinical inflammation that we can't pick up on our exam or, you know, genetic predisposition that puts them at risk for some of these, you know, extra articular manifestations beyond what we can evaluate at the bedside. That's where kind of the interest in developing, you know, prediction models and risk stratification strategies sort of really comes into play. And beyond some of those, you know, areas, we've also, there's also been some study, for instance, in cardiovascular disease um, and rheumatoid arthritis patients, some of the preventative strategies, even through like primary care providers, like such as, you know, statin use may be suboptimal in, in rheumatoid arthritis patients or secondary prevention strategies. For instance, after a patient, an RA patient gets admitted for myocardial infarction, there's been some studies that have shown they are less likely to get sort of what we would consider guideline direct management with things like beta blockers. And so those may also influence some of this persistent mortality gap. And so I think understanding those things, you know, best we can and and ensuring we're continuing to move forward and not only sort of our, you know, ability to treat RA effectively, risk stratify patients with RA, but also doing all the things we already know are helpful to the non-RA population in a a more comprehensive manner in these folks. The relationship of RA to ILD is is pretty well known now, but is it possible that the cardiopulmonary disease burden is increased by perhaps veterans' exposures to toxins that the general population may not have? You know, that's that's a great question, and I think that's obviously it's a a question of particular interest, especially in the veterans, as far as exposure history and military exposures and how that influences, um, you know, particularly respiratory related outcomes long term. Obviously, in this study, we weren't able to specifically tease out how exposure history was associated with respiratory outcomes. Uh, I think that's something that, you know, anyone that's working in the VA is interested in doing so in the future. You know, I think one of the things I'd point out in this study is that these were in what I call internal controls. And so we were looking at veterans with RA and comparing them to veterans without RA. 
Um, and so presumably that control population is, you know, probably experienced a lot of the same exposures that our, our patients with RA did in this study. And, you know, we still see this significant, substantially increased risk of, of uh, respiratory-related mortality and ILD. And so there's obviously some nuances there because then you could probably ask, okay, well, do exposures sort of influence RA onset? And so there's a lot of things that tease out there, but even in our study, even looking at RA versus non-RA veterans, we still see this threefold increased risk of ILD, which I think is significant. So the RA is definitely the operative issue there. Yeah. And I, I think at least from our findings, yeah, from the study, I think that that's where we would, you know, certainly focus our attention. You mentioned infection as well. And of course, some of the most effective drugs for treating RA are known to be very immune suppressive. Is that yeah. one of the factors that has to be considered in, in looking at your findings? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting in our most, you know, in the most recently diagnosed RA cohort in this study, infectious related deaths are actually one of the, maybe as far as categorical causes, the most overrepresented causes of death in our study. But when we looked at trends, that risk was pretty steady over time. So I think, you know, you can look at that a couple of ways. I think um, you can look at that, well, even with the introduction and wider use of things like biologic DMARDs and more potent immunosuppressive therapies, we haven't necessarily seen the dramatic increase in the risk of infection. So I think in a way that's sort of, you know, good news. But as you alluded to, I mean, there is sort of an unavoidable risk with immunosuppression as far as infectious uh, uh, infectious complications go. That doesn't negate the importance of controlling RA disease activity, because I think some would argue that a patient with uncontrolled RA is also at increased risk of infection and would probably do worse. And so this sort of points to the fact that, you know, when you're deciding to start these agents um, and you're relating patients immune suppressive therapy, it is a important discussion to have with patients and, you know, tailoring. We don't, you know, we don't have a sort of magic crystal ball when we see patients at the bedside to say this is the best DMARD for you. A lot of it is sort of tailoring what we know about side effects in particular, you know, the administration of agents to the lifestyle or comorbidities of a given patient. Educating patients on that, having a shared decision-making conversation, and then talking about strategies that patients can ways patients can reduce their risk. So obviously in recent years, you know, vaccination status um, is is extremely important. Um, and I guess it, it always has been, but I think it's been highlighted more down during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so all those things are, I think it just sort of highlights provider vigilance in some of the healthcare maintenance issues that we can do to mitigate that infectious risk and minimizing things that might increase their risk, like for instance, glucocorticoid use. If we can minimize glucocorticoid use, there's been some, you know, good studies that have shown even low-dose glucocorticoids over time can increase infection risk. So if there's anything we can do to mitigate that infection risk, I think that's important to us as providers. So you preempted my next question, which is how can this knowledge be applied in the clinic by the practicing rheumatologist and even the primary care physician? And you've just named a number of things that I think would be within that purview. Yeah. Uh, what else would you suggest for, for those physicians to be particularly cognizant of? Obviously, that's a, a great question. And first and foremost, for the rheumatologist, it's about controlling RA disease activity. And I, I think we've all sort of met that patient that comes in and, you know, we see a few swollen joints and we think, oh, their RA is not perfect, but the 
patient doesn't tend to complain all the time. It depends on the patient, but I think we've all met that patient who says, I'm, I'm fine, doc. I don't want more medicine. And then I think that at least, and, you know, I think at least that conversation with patients saying, you know, we're seeing this inflammation here. I know you're feeling okay, but here's what might happen. These are the sort of the long-term outcomes that we see um, in patients with persistent disease activity. Um, and so sort of discussing patients, the value of escalating treatment in those scenarios is important. And then so I had started to mention, as you were alluding to, sort of this holistic care approach between rheumatologists primary care providers and other specialists is, is really important. And so when I think about sort of how that looks in the clinic, you think about sort of the main takeaways from, from our study as far as what patients are dying from, and it's cardiovascular disease, you know, cancer and respiratory disease. And so in, in patients with a smoking history, making sure that you're adhering to, at least adhering to the recommended screening for low-dose CTs as far as picking up on lung cancer, um, and patients with respiratory complaints having kind of a low threshold for things like pulmonary function tests and, and more advanced imaging to catch interstitial lung disease when it's early. Rheumatoid arthritis patients have been shown to sort of present from a cardiovascular standpoint and like a myocardial infarction standpoint have been shown to actually present in sort of atypical ways. Um, and then when we think about the, you know, overall rheumatoid arthritis population sort of being middle-aged females, we'll often also sometimes talk about middle-aged females present with atypical symptoms of, of heart attacks like GI upset or maybe just it's, it's fatigue or something to that effect. And so taking those complaints kind of seriously and having a low threshold for stress testing and, and risk stratifying from a cardiovascular perspective, following blood pressure and lipid guidelines, you know, really closely and Oftentimes, I think where this really becomes important is I think patients with rheumatoid arthritis see their rheumatologist so frequently that it's not uncommon for an RA patient to consider their rheumatologist their primary care provider. So realizing that and having a gestalt about when these things need to be done and either if you're comfortable performing these screening tests on your own, great. Um, if not, having you know a close collaborative relationship with primary care providers and specialists. And then, of course, making sure that the vaccines are kept up to date to keep that yeah. infection risk low. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what other research do you have planned for this area? I guess as far as our research group goes here, long-term outcomes in RA, you know, particularly as it relates to, you know, ILD and cardiovascular disease and this concept of sort of multimorbidity um, is a particular area of research um, interest for, for our group. And so um, I think these, these findings in this study sort of help us to sort of frame the comparative burden of these issues and, you know, make sure we're staying focused and, and our steps forward. So I think sort of broadly, the areas that we're interested in is looking at, you know, are there strategies to either predict patients that are going to develop these comorbidities that influence these outcomes? Um, can we risk stratify patients that are going to have more severe versions of these comorbidities? And coming up with strategies to to manage these patients is really sort of the end, end goal and whether or not that's coming up with a better understanding of which RA-related treatments improve respiratory outcomes versus cardiovascular outcomes, I think is always sort of the, the holy grail. Or if there's 
simply ways to understand when a patient with RA needs to be started on non-RA related you know, medications to mitigate their risk. Like we mentioned, things like things like statins and lipid lowering therapies. It's been well established that the same cardiovascular risk calculators that we use in the non-RA population tend to underestimate risk in RA. And so if there's anything we can do to improve those strategies, I think is broadly a you know an area of future research that our group is very interested in. This has been very interesting. I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk again as you continue your research. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. Appreciate your interest.